I absolutely love all the foods that you can see on your screen. Well, except one. I don't really quite know what a natto is. I think it's something Japanese, which is uh, derived from soybeans. It's probably a Japanese version of tempeh. But everything else on that screen, I absolutely love. Well, I'm told it's healthy. And the reason why it's supposed to be healthy is because all of these foods are created through a process called fermentation. Well, you recall previously I've spoken about knowing the person of the Holy Spirit and I use the figurative speech of a uh, figurative example of the pickling process. Well, I want to perhaps contrast pickling with fermentation. There are similarities. There's also important differences. Now, if you recall, pickling is a way of preserving food. But pickling didn't do something that fermentation can do, which is that fermentation can transform the food. How does it transform the food? It uses bacteria as the fermentation agent, whereas pickling... Now, I'm honestly not a good chef at all. I just like to know stuff about the food that I like. And I happen to like all this stuff. And I discovered that, well... The food is all coincidentally created or the, or, the, or the drinks are created through a process called fermentation, right? Now, now, fermentation is not like pickling. Pickling uses something acidic to preserve the food. But fermentation uses microorganisms like bacteria, good bacteria, to eat up the sugars and the carbohydrate, and therefore it creates food which has less carbohydrate, less sugary, supposedly healthy, more nutrition. Because when, you, we, when we consume fermented food, not only is that food preserved, not only is that food ha hasn't, has already broken down sugars and carbohydrates, so there's not going to be an immediate spike in our sugar levels, but it has something else which pickled food doesn't have, probiotics. It's, how, how do I relate this to the person of the Holy Spirit? Well, all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ and the work that he has done for us on the cross, we already filled with the Holy Spirit, which I figuratively associate with the process of being pickled. You know, once pickled, forever pickled. You will never be the same again. But there remains an extra dimension in our relationship and our, in the work of the Holy Spirit. Because this, the Holy Spirit has not just come to reside within us, to be our helper and to be our counselor. But in the book of Acts, the early church, and there's absolutely no reason to believe that the experience of the early church cannot be the experience of the present-day church, or in, indeed the church throughout the ages. But the early church 
experience the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus who were timid when Jesus was caught and subsequently crucified, they suddenly came back brave and bold, willing to lay down their lives in the same way that Jesus had. And they were used greatly, perhaps even to an extent greater than what Jesus had demonstrated in the book of Acts. They were flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit because we have already received the giver of those gifts, the person of the Holy Spirit. But we need that next step of learning to activate, move in those gifts. Somewhat like one of those foods that I showed you on the earlier screen, which I absolutely love, kimchi. The Korean version of sauerkraut. I love it. Just totally love it. See, kimchi is a food that is consisting of an assorted, or a dish consisting of an assorted type of vegetables, cabbage, radish, carrots, and so on and so forth. It is first pickled and then fermented, which means that it's gone through double process, pickled, fermented. It also has probiotics, which pickled food doesn't have. And so there's an extra dimension for us believers that we can move into. And I'm so glad that Pastor Stephen has uh, added on to the topic of knowing the person of the Holy Spirit with this subject of activating the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which I liken to the process of fermentation. Now, pickling is all about what's happening inside us. The inflow of the Spirit, the inworking of the Spirit to help us to be a counselor, to guide us into all truth. And, and, and preserve us and to keep us in the image of Christ to help us reach that finish line. That's a very personal inward work of the Spirit. But the Spirit has also come to reside within us so that He can then work through us. Because God has chosen to work in this world through His people. We are the agents of transformation. So then the Spirit also wants to flow out through us. As Jesus spoke in the Gospel of John, He that believes on me out of his inner being shall flow the rivers of living water. So the outworking of the power of the Spirit within us, Jesus also said to his disciples, when you have received the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power to be my witness. It has a transformative effect, very much like fermentation has this transformative effect on the food. Now, I just want you to understand that in moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it is supposed to be a natural process. I look at the disciples of the early church, the disciples that walked with Jesus. They were unschooled, uneducated, not highly intellectual men. 
they were not necessarily systematically trained on how to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was a natural outworking of what they had received, what was working within them, as they just allowed that to flow through them. It's almost like if you and I consistently live healthily, that which works inside of us will ultimately lead to a work outcome externally. If we, if we live healthy lives, we will be healthy. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit of God will work through us. It doesn't have to be a struggle for it to manifest. But sometimes, because we are human and because of the way we think, there are blockages to the working of the Spirit of God. I hope that today we're going to be able to touch on some scriptures, all in Paul's epistle to the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church was a church of, I could say, extremes. It was a church that was extremely used to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was a church that was flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think the word extreme is the right word to describe the use of the word uh, of the of the Holy of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in that church. It was an extreme use. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this church had a few other issues as well. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul had to touch on one of these issues, which is the issue of the misuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What I found interesting was Paul didn't say to them, since you're misusing the gifts, you should stop using it. You see, the solution to misuse is not disuse, not to stop using it. The solution to misuse is to learn how to correctly use it. The Corinthian church didn't have to be taught on how to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were already moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's like some of us, when we were younger, we didn't have to be taught how to eat. We were already able to eat, maybe by just watching other people, or just uh, natural physiological reaction. You're hungry, you know what you need to do. But ultimately, when we had to go to formal occasions, we needed to learn etiquette. We needed to learn the proper way of using utensils, a proper way of eating and socializing in those environments. So there are some things that come naturally to us, but to be excellent in it, which was what Paul wanted the Corinthian church to be, then some teachings had to be laid down to streamline the excessive behavior. So wrong use is not solved by not using but by learning how to correctly use it. That was the purpose of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul wanted this Corinthian church not just to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit effectively, he wanted that church to be excellent. Hence, he taught them how to combine the gifts with love. He said, I want you to have a more excellent way. So I'll pick up three verses here, three verses here. Uh, to 
bring upon this morning or this today the, the truth of what the scripture shows us on how we can activate the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, in what way was the Corinthian church extreme in the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, there was chaotic behavior when a person stood up to communicate a message from the Holy Spirit. Another person would also stand up and shout and they would go into this excited frenzy to the extent that somebody would then claim to be speaking and inspired by the Holy Spirit and utter the words, Jesus is cursed. Now, th that could have been a misunderstanding, over-enthusiastic misunderstanding of the uh, concept that anyone who hung on a tree was cursed. And since Jesus was hung on a wooden cross, so he must have been cursed as well. So Paul corrected them in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, it's not possible that someone who is claiming to be led and filled by the Spirit would also be inspired by the same Spirit to say that Jesus Christ be cursed when Jesus Christ is actually Lord. You see, uh, that church was moving in the gifts, but they did get off track. It didn't mean that all of the exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit through that church was not valid. There were just some things that needed to be fine-tuned, streamlined. Now, I also want you to understand that the Corinthian church had other problems, immorality, divisions, not just among lower level of people in the church, but even at the leadership. Uh, there was a lot of uh, disunity, sectarianism people who said that they were aligned to Paul some said that they were aligned to Peter and they didn't get along that, that, that Corinthian church was extremely active in the moving of the gifts but they were also a bad example of everything that can go wrong in a church going wrong in that church. Which brings to me an interesting point. Since it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be perfect to activate it. Having said that, it doesn't mean that because you activate the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you're now excused from being perfected by the Spirit. For kimchi to be kimchi, it has to be both pickled and fermented. There must be an inner working and an outworking of the Spirit. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, the top right-hand side of, your, of, of our PowerPoint slide, it says, to each, very clearly, everyone. Everyone has the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. It's already within us. And everyone, no, nobody is an exception. Every one of us, since we are filled with the Spirit, it comes with a package deal, so to speak. To everyone, to each person, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. 
So the manifestation of the Spirit, which is another way of phrasing the gifts of the Spirit, is just a natural appearance of what is already there inwardly. Now, you should understand that I have learned a form of English because my English is not perfect, but I have learned a form form of English for many, many years. And what you are hearing right now is a manifestation of that process. It's not something that is happening spontaneously that is bypassing my mind. It was there for a long time, and now it's a manifestation of that. It's the same as a person who's filled with the Spirit, and as a result of the Spirit residing, being present in that person's heart, there is going to be inevitably, unavoidably, manifestation of the Spirit. How that manifestation happens differs from a person from person to person. So that's the first thing we need to understand. It's a natural outworking of what is already present inwardly. Now, the verse says that the manifestation of the Spirit is not to make just to make us feel good. It's not for our benefit. It's not to make us look special and extraordinary. Apparently, there is a mission that comes with this manifestation. It is for the good of another person. This is the reason why the Corinthian church was never going to be excellent because their manifestation was just exhibition of the need to appear spectacular, the need to appear, uh, to, to be acknowledged, the need to appear better than somebody else. There was a competitive spirit going on. There was no fine-tuning. There was no sharpening of the gifts in the sense that it wasn't focused on benefiting somebody else. It was just an exhibition of raw power without end result. And this is the hard part because many people feel as we look at those people who are gifted with the Spirit and they, and, they, and they come forth publicly and demonstrate those gifts, and then they get acknowledgement and they become popular, suddenly within some people arises this desire that we want to be also popular. We also want to have the gifts of the Spirit so that we might be popular because maybe inside of us there's this lack of self-esteem. Well, that's not what the gifts of the Spirit is for. If if we're not going to be able to understand the mission, the purpose for those gifts, then activating the gifts will be suboptimal in our lives. Now, in verse 11, Paul explained to the Corinthian church that all of the gifts, no gift was special, more special than the other. No gift was of a higher order than the other. All of those gifts were equally important because they came from this, they came as a result of the working of the one and same spirit who sovereignly gave those gifts out as he determines it. Now, I want you to understand that you and I cannot decide ourselves independently. Oh, I think I like 
this particular gift. I, I like the gift of prophecy, or I like the gift of healing, or I like the gift of miracles. I think I will now give myself to that gift. We, we have to acknowledge that the spirit within us, as much as he is our helper, he is God. He is sovereign. He is not to be dictated. We need to, we need to recognize that element in our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that he is the boss. There are some things in life that we, by our own willpower, by our own desire, cannot receive, whether in the natural world or in the spiritual world. We cannot have it for ourselves. There are things beyond our control. There are forces beyond our control. And now we understand there are purposes beyond our control. There is another person who has his own will about these matters, the person of the Holy Spirit. So the last verse that I wanted to share with you in this slide was 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, which I think explains to us if we want to activate the gifts of the Holy Spirit at a much higher level, in a more excellent way, which is what Paul was trying to do when he talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 14, then we need to put love at the forefront. We need to pursue love while we desire the gifts. You know, exercising the gifts is, seriously speaking, an act of love. Because as we can see from the other scripture that I talked on and 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The gifts don't directly benefit us. Believe me, there's days that are going to come when you exercise the gifts regularly, you're going to realize that the outworking of these gifts will end up taking a lot out of you. It might create expectations people have towards you, it may create a burden towards you. You might not see yourself as so special anymore. You might become irritable. You might lose your sense of humility. You might suddenly lose love. You might become a person who is incapable of empathizing with anybody else. And, and you might suddenly feel everybody owes you something, which perhaps could have been the reason why there were people in the Corinthian church getting out of control. Because what Paul did say to them, the gifts that they had was causing them to be puffed out. So, if you want to flow in these gifts, we got to be a person who is able to put somebody else above us. Put it a simple way. Just as Jesus made himself nothing and took on the form of a human being, even as a servant, limiting himself, 
if we want to be activating the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we need to also learn submission, humility, learning to limit ourselves. And there are times when we're going to be misunderstood. There are times when uh, we're going to feel maybe sometimes a sense of envy, a sense of insecurity. And all of that is showing to us that maybe we've been over-fermented and under-pickled. We need to go back to that inworking of the Spirit to build ourselves up because we've got left some gaps in our hearts. And even as I've said that, let me end with this case study. A case study in the book of Acts. Jesus' disciple who had denied him, Simon, this man called Simon who ran away and denied that he was Jesus' disciple because he needed to save his own life. When push came to shove, he decided that his life was more important than acknowledging who he was. Now, not long after that, just a few months after Jesus' crucifixion, Simon had changed his name and become Peter. He had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, as he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he suddenly boldly proclaimed Christ, proclaimed salvation, proclaimed Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament. All this under the filling of the Holy Spirit. And in the early parts of the book of Acts, at least up to chapter 11, Peter was a prominent apostle. And it was noted a few times in the, in the book of Acts that Peter was nothing like Simon. Everything that Simon was not, Peter was. And everything that Simon was, Peter was not. So this was... In Acts chapter 3, just after Peter's powerful sermon in Acts chapter 2, and the church was growing, the disciples of Jesus was increasing, were increasing. Peter and the other disciple, John, were going to the temple to pray, as was their normal custom. Now, in Acts chapter 3, in verse Verses 2 and 3, which I didn't have here on the screen. I'll give you a little bit of context. There was a beggar who was lame from birth. He had a congenital defect, never walked all his life. In fact, he had to be carried to the gate of the temple. Perhaps some people took pity on him, or maybe it was his family's way of ensuring that he would have some sustenance to survive. Because this man put himself, he allowed himself to be placed at the gate of the temple, and then he just asked for arms. He was just begging. Bible Acts, the book of Acts actually describes him as being present at the temple gate every day from the time he was young. So it is possible that Peter and John had seen this man before. It is possible that this man knew who Peter and John were 
maybe understood that Peter and John here were very important people in a new movement. But they didn't quite understand what this movement was all about. So when he saw Peter and John passing by, he actually spread out his hands, looked at them expectantly, and asked them for money, for arms, whatever they could contribute to him materially. He was looking for something material, but his heart, his, his heart was open to receive something from them. He was expecting it would be something material. Now, Peter looked right at this man, so did John, and then Peter commanded that that man make eye contact with him. Now, I don't want you to understand the mechanisms of what Peter was doing and then you imitate it. You don't need to cheapen the Holy Spirit through imitation of somebody else. This is what Peter was doing naturally and you do your, your stuff naturally with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Peter looked at this man and he said, look at us. And the man gave them his attention. I think at that moment, Peter understood within him that this man was ready to receive something. This man was so open, he was ready to receive what he wasn't even asking for. And so Peter, taking a risk now, wanting to exercise his faith, wanting to exercise what was within him for the common good of somebody else, and if what he did failed, it's going to look pretty bad for Peter. Now, Peter said to this man, silver or gold, I do not have. Not because he was a stingy man, but truthfully, uh, since his fishing business had shut down, Peter was now not, uh, you know, having... Lots of money. He wasn't swimming in cash or gold or silver. But I said, you know, I can't give you gold or silver because I don't have this. What I have, just, there's something within me. There's a person within me called the Holy Spirit. And he who has worked something in me can work through me. What I have, I give you. Now, isn't that the most natural thing you can say? You cannot give people what you don't have, right? And what you and I have is the Holy Spirit. You and I have the Holy Spirit. And the difference between us and Peter at that moment was Peter's mentality. What I have is not for me to keep. It's for me to give. What I have, I give to you. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You know the rest of the story, maybe. And then if you don't, why don't you go and look at it? Peter stuck out his hand and pulled that man up. And that man leapt up and walked for the first time in his life. That, my friends, is a natural outworking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it was done by a man who a few months before had failed 
gloriously and so openly before all the others. Now remember, John did not deny Jesus, but Peter did. So it is what I would call as being thick skin for Peter to take the lead here in front of John. But he was just being himself. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to us not because we are clever, not because we are capable, and because if we were clever and capable, then why would we need these gifts? We can just use our own ability, our own talent, because gift is not talent. Gifts can work through talent, but gifts is above the talent. The gift is the outworking of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit doing the work, but it's through our eyes and through our mouths and through our heads. Peter needed to be having that mentality, I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to look foolish. Which brings me to my three points. Activating the gifts. I have nothing extraordinary, no secret, no silver bullet, no magic to tell you. It's simple as one, two, three. It has to be simple. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit is not about us being extraordinary. It is about ordinary people allowing the extraordinary spirit to manifest to them. So here are my three points. As simple as that. Start wherever you are. Peter and John were at Jerusalem, at the temple. And that is not even their natural habitat. Remember Peter and John come from Galilee. But since there was a man there who had a need, start where you are. Number two, use whatever you have. What Peter and John had was the Holy Spirit within them. What Peter and John had was having associated with a man who had healed many sick people in the past. Use what you have. Don't try... Uh, to use what you don't have. Simple as that. And thirdly, you're going to do this whenever and with whoever you can. And regardless of how it turns out, regardless of what kind of outcome you have, you do this over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit, He will meet you on the other side. Let's pray, church. Father, I ask that this morning, your words spoken simply would bring an impartation. Would not just bring an impartation, but it would bring forth from the depths of the beings of your people, from the very depths of the heart of your people, from the inner workings of their spirit would cause gifts of the Holy Spirit to come forth. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the workings of miracles, healings, the, the gifts of various tongues, the gift of administration, all the different gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, all this would come forth, Lord, in a great way, Father, that would not require us 
to think, to overthink the process, but naturally we allow it to flow. Even sometimes we wouldn't even know that it is the gift of the Holy Spirit working through us. Help us to be ordinarily extraordinary and extraordinarily ordinary, God. Because it is you who works in us, through us, and with us. In Jesus' name, all God's people who have received his word, let's go out and do it. Amen.